All right, Steph, I've got a question for you. What's your favorite book of all time? Uh, obviously, you met her where? Oh, I thought you were going to say the Bible. Oh, oops. <laughs> oh. What's your second favorite book of all time? You met her where? <laughs> a distant second. Totally distant. It's a pretty good book. Sorry, God. It's still a pretty, pretty good was. book. But we're so excited. Where can people get our book, honey? Okay, I know this. Uh, Amazon.com. Yes. Barnes & Noble. Yes, and? And our website, KevinAndSteph.com. And, and what happens if they buy it off our website? <gasps> what do they get? Uh, an autograph from us. Yes. Who wouldn't want that? Exactly. So, listeners, if you've already read the book, thank you so much. We've had such good feedback. One thing that helps us, if you can give us a review on Amazon.com, we would greatly appreciate it. Thank you so much, and thank you for listening. Hello, friends. Welcome to a fascinating conversation we just had with an Ironman triathlete, Mr. Will Turner. This man completed 105 Ironman distant races starting at the age of 60. Just absolutely mind-blowing. Hope you enjoyed this episode of Tell Us a Good Story. You excited, honey? Yes, I am. I am. I know we have a ton of questions for this next guest. Yes. So, ladies and gentlemen, our next guest was featured in the July edition of Outside Magazine and also in the August edition of Triathlete Magazine. He is a speaker, author, endurance coach, peak performance junkie who in December at the young age of 61 finished his 105th Ironman distance triathlon. In the last two years, in the last two years, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to tell us a good story, Mr. Will Turner. Oh, we are excited. Auspicious introduction. Uh, Thank you. Before we get started, I need you to tell our listeners who are not familiar with Ironmans exactly what that encompasses. Okay. It's a triathlon and obviously there's different distances of triathlon. So uh, Ironman is a 2.4 mile swim. 112 mile bike and a 26.2 mile marathon run. And it's and it's back to back to back. You're not taking breaks. Like you're <laughs> you, still you, going. You technically have 17 hours to complete all three. So if you can do it in less and if you want to take some breaks, you can. But the idea is to keep going. Yeah. And Will, you did this in the national parks. Is that correct? Um, probably did um, at least a third of them. Okay. Maybe a third to, um, yeah, 30, 40 in the national parks. It was definitely a, a focus to dupe them in as many epic places as possible. And the national parks certainly rank up there as some of our you know most beautiful areas in the country. Okay. I'm just sitting here as you two are talking, doing the math. 105 races Over in the years. last two years, that that's one more than one a week. That is one right. week. There's a leap year. Is there? There was a leap But there. still, <laughs> that distance, that's like, I'm tired thinking about it. Like, I was tired reading about it when yes. I was researching Will earlier today. I was tired How? too. What? Oh, I bet. <laughs> oh my gosh, Will. How is your body recovering so quickly after you're doing these crazy races? Um, I mean, I do, I do have a recovery regimen. Which I, is what? Nothing fancy. Okay. Um. Basically, basically what I was doing, I mean, I was averaging one every six or seven days, but because of my schedule and everything else, it didn't always end up that way. I mean, sometimes I was doing the back to back. Sometimes I, you know, was working work in the middle and having a little longer break, but on average every six days or so. So that meant that I needed to race and then turn around and recover as quickly as possible so I could go out and race again within a few days or a week or something like that. So um, recovery meant that I was taking down a, a good proper recovery drink immediately after I finished. Um, it meant that I was getting as much rest as I could after a race. And it meant that I was doing active um, 
just active recovery, which is really walking and just doing light exercise, stretching, that sort of thing, just to get my body moving again, because you pound your body, you know, really hard, and then you've just got to get it back in the in the groove so that you're ready to go whenever the next one comes up. Wait a second. You have a job, too? <laughs> Do you see? No, seriously, you yeah. work? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I was, I was juggling. I do a lot of my work virtually. So okay. I'm, a, I'm a triathlon coach and endurance coach, but I'm also a business coach. I do sales and leadership uh, training. And so if I had to go meet with a client, I would go meet with the client and schedule an Ironman around that travel if I needed to. I definitely had the flexibility to cram it all in there. Oh, my, my so, mouth has been open this whole time. So, Will, when I was reading about you, okay, yeah. and I read that you still had a job yeah. and you would still meet with clients face-to-face when needed, it brought me back to a woman I used to work with who did the Columbus Marathon a couple years ago. Okay. okay, She came in on that Monday morning from work and was like crawling up the stairs, right? right? And I remember thinking... I feel so bad for her. She's so exhausted, so tired, so sore. And then I read Will. (laughs) I'm like, well, crap. Will just did a triathlon this past weekend and the weekend before and the weekend before that. On top of everything else. He's fine walking up the steps. Like, what do you have an excuse for? Like, I no longer felt sorry for her. It's true. I mean, if you do a marathon or you do an Ironman, I mean, you can be like hobbled around for days. I have found, and I'm not... I'm not sponsored by them at all, but I use a recovery drink called Endurox R4. And there are lots of recovery drinks out there, but I've noticed over the years of doing all this training and and racing that if I have that recovery drink afterwards, I don't have that, you know, that DOMS, which is that delayed onset muscle um, soreness that you get where you can't walk and you're hobbling around that sort of stuff. So getting that in my system immediately and doing some light stretching immediately plays a big part in in my recovery so that I didn't have that problem. And you know your body well yeah. based on all of those. Yeah, uh, you know, that was probably, people asked me, how, how can I do all this stuff at my age and not get injured? And certainly injury was a big concern of mine going into this because, you know, I'd certainly never tested my body like this. And actually nobody in the world had ever tested their body like this. So I didn't have any you know, role models to turn to and say, what do you do? Um, but I, I did, you know, just learn to test my body. And, and to your point, to know my body, I, I consider myself a Zen athlete, meaning that I just pay, I'm very mindful of my body. And so if I start to feel something that doesn't feel quite right, I pay attention to it. A lot of kind of hardcore runners or, or triathletes, you know, they, they push their body really hard, which, you know, I do too, but you can push it hard just to get through, or you can push it hard and, and cause injury. And you've got to know the difference between pushing hard to get to the finish line and pushing hard that is going to actually do physical damage to yourself. Right. If I notice something is bothering me, I'm going to pay attention to that part. I'm going to try to stretch that out. I'm going to try to, you know, just be mindful of my form be mindful of what else I can do that might have caused this. And lots of times you might get a little something and then it goes away. But I know a lot of athletes who are very kind of driven who get the, the, the issue and they just kind of gut through it and they don't ever stop long enough to pay attention to what it is or to what to do to get rid of it. I, I believe in massages and those sorts of things got to work out the kinks and, you know, whatever I can do to address something on the front end. And that's only from learning the hard way. I mean, I, I did a marathon in uh, uh, 15 years ago, 10, 15 years ago. And I, I, I partially tore my patella tendon. Oh. And I didn't know that at the time. I knew I hurt my knee. I knew my knee hurt. And I knew that it hurt when I ran or I biked. But I... I quickly found out that it didn't get worse, but it didn't get better, right? So I thought, okay, if I go to the doctors now, they're going to tell me to, you know, I can't run, I can't do this marathon. And I didn't want to hear that at the time. I was very focused on the marathon. So I, I just, you know, rationalized in my own mind that I can just keep pushing through. And it, I had pain, 
but it was manageable and I just kept pushing through it. And so when the marathon was over, I actually knew I couldn't run my best marathon. So I thought I'll just run this for fun. Right. So I, I got a pink tutu. old t-shirt and i i I wrote on the back of the t-shirt i got a bum knee shouldn't really run but the marathon is just too too fun (laughs) (laughs) i just ran the marathon and had a good time but that's awesome marathon i went to go see the doctor and that's when i found out that i had partially torn my patella tendon and because i'd waited at this point a couple months before I'd gone to get help and I kept running and doing other things on it. You know, I'd built up some scar tissue. I'd built up some other things. And we, we, with my doctor, we tried lots of different therapies to get it better. Ultimately I needed surgery and needed to recover. And it was about a year and a half total before I was totally back to where I was pre injury. And that's when I was like, okay, well, <laughs> you don't need to be a stupid, stubborn athlete more than you already are. If you've got a problem, you know, I, I knew I had a problem with my knee and I just was too stubborn to go get help because I didn't want to hear what the doctor was going to say. Right. And so that was the lesson I learned. And I've been very good and faithful to that lesson ever since, because I don't oh. want to sit out another year and a half. To, I don't blame you. Well, yeah. Right. I mean, that's like, 90 triathlons, right? If you just had a year and a half. I mean, that'd be like, you'd be losing a lot. <laughs> so, so stuff. And for listeners, okay. I want to brag on Will a little bit here, okay? I love it. So, I'm going to give you a list of his accomplishments. Okay. Okay. Now, Will, if I mess up, please don't hesitate to correct me, all right, mm-hmm. from what I'm about to announce. So, Steph, in 2018, Mr. Turner here smashed the world record for most Ironmans completed in one year. The record was previously 44. How many do you think he, how many do you think he completed? Well, I just cheated and looked because oh, I just couldn't wait it. to see. Okay. Yeah. Will completed 61 at the age of 60. Holy cow. Now the goal, Will, was 60 at 60, right? Right. So why did, why did you end up going 61? Okay. So the goal was the year I turned 60 to do 60 Ironmans. All right, that was not the first goal. Do you want to know the first goal? Yes. Please. So the first goal was I wanted a BHAG, a big, hairy, audacious goal for when I turned 60. Okay. And about three years before I turned 60, when I back up a little bit, when I turned 50, I decided my BHAG was going to be doing my first Ironman, which was oh. huge at the time. Right. It was a huge, big life goal. And so I did actually, I was um, recovering at that point from my Vitellus tendon surgery. And instead of doing it at 50, I had to wait an extra year to do the race I wanted to do. I actually did Ironman New Zealand when I turned 51. And um, so I wanted this big, hairy, audacious goal. And I thought at that point, this was about three years. This was like I was 57 years old. And I was thinking, what can I do when I turn 60? You know, I need to do something big. I thought, I know I'll do six Ironmans. That would be huge, and it would be. It would be. It would be huge. And um, I, I literally, within a few weeks of coming to this kind of big revelation, this is what I'm going to do, I went out to a local triathlon, a, a shorter distance triathlon, and I had a couple athletes that I was coaching that were racing in the race, and I was the, just there to spectate. And I ran into a friend of mine, and she said, and she's a racer, and she said, you got any big, big plans, any big race plans coming on? And I thought, well, let me just share it with her. And so I said, I'm going to, I'm thinking about when I turn 60, I'm going to do six Ironmans. And very matter of factly, she said, oh, like Sam. And Sam's a local triathlete in the my Richmond, Virginia community who had turned six. I didn't know him at the time. I knew his name. I knew who he was. But he had turned 60 a couple years before. And guess what? He had done six Ironmans a year. He turned 60. And I, you know. That's a that's huge for anybody to do six Ironmans in a year, much less somebody you know sixty years old. But it really just kind of took the winds out of my sail. <laughs> I guess I'm too competitive. I don't know. I was just saying you're say. so competitive. Uh, do you hate you know, this guy or something? Well, you know how can it be a BHAG if the first person I mentioned it to said, "Oh yeah, like so and so." And so I really wrestled with a, for a while. What am I going to do? And at some point, you know, just 
six, 60, turning 60, 60 at 60, just kind of popped in there. And um, I was doing a combination of actual races and what I call on your own races, OYOs. And because there's not 60 actual Ironman races right. in the, in the, the world in a year. So there's yeah. no way I could just go around from race to race. Um, so I was going to do a bunch of real races and, and then a bunch on my own where I followed all the rules of a race and did all the distances, but on my own, wherever I chose to do them, right? So the first official race in the country is a, an Ironman race is also a, what's considered a full distance race. Um, Ironman's a brand, but a full distance is the distance of the 2.4, the 112, and the 26.2. So the first full distance race in 2018 was in Naples, Florida, and it was on January 6th of that year. Well, I turned 60 on January 7th, a couple hours after I finished that race. So from that, that point on, I would talk, my daughter, I have a grown daughter. Um, she was 30 at the time. So she said, dad, that one doesn't count. Oh. I'm like, what do you mean it doesn't count? <laughs> so throughout the year, she lives in Charlotte. I live in Richmond. I was traveling, obviously, all over the place to do these triathlons. Throughout the year, whenever I talked to her, she'd be like, Dad, what number are you on? I'd say 42. She's like, 41. <laughs> <laughs> That's easy for her to say. I she's would sitting on her couch. her well, right then, disown so, her. Oh. So I ended up, you know, there was a big hoopla in Richmond to do my 60th Ironman, which I did. And then after that was done, it was still before the year had finished and before I turned 61, I went out on my own and in the rain, which I was like cursing my daughter the whole time, it rained all day long and I was out there in the rain, but I was like, damn it, I'm going to do my first just so I can tell her I did 60 when I was 60. So, Oh my goodness. Damn those you are not competitive at all, Mr. Turner. I, not at all. Well, I would have told you, hey, why don't you do seven instead of six? <laughs> no need to go to 60. Oh, my goodness. So what's your... Wait, wait, hold on. Oh, Kevin. Okay. Let me keep going here. Okay, honey. okay. So list of accomplishments. So an Ironman, of course, is the 2.4-mile swim, 112-mile bike, 26.2-mile run. He ended up doing 105 over the two-year period in 2018 and 2019. And what was coined as Journey to 100. Mm. He's also a USA triathlon certified coach and works with many aspiring Ironman athletes. And then over the past several years, Will has also spoken to many groups, gone, uh, helped with training and supporting others who want to step out of their comfort zones to live more boldly. And that's that's what you go by, right? Yeah, that's your, yeah, that's your website I, is the, Live Your Bold. The whole journey, you know, the... It was started at the 60th 60, and then it expanded to beyond that, and that's another story. But um, I, when I, I wanted it to be more than just about me going out doing Ironmans all over the place. And so, at the same time that I started the Ironman journey, I started something I called Live Your Bold, and it was just what I consider a movement where I would, I, I have a training and development background. And, and, you know, from a corporate standpoint. And so I'm used to develop, developing training materials and helping people achieve more of their goals and those sorts of things. So I've got the tools. I was thinking as I was planning the 60 at 60, what can I do to make this a way to serve other people? And I thought about raising money for a charity and that there's lots of charities I've supported over the years. But then I started like looking at what I thought my best gifts were. And it was really building platforms and, and programs and training and materials that could help other people get out of their comfort zones and help them live more boldly. So I started Live Your Bold as a way to do that in conjunction with what I was doing with the Ironman journey and in conjunction with my regular work, Stephanie. Um, right. So, oh so where opportunities present themselves, I would go to school groups and talk to kids. And mm. um, I, I created a what I call a Live Your Bold Starter Kit that people would go on the website and they would request it. And I would send them information that would help them and just do different things throughout the year that I could give back um, to others. And, it, you know, that that to me was the most rewarding part of the journey. Most people don't want to hear about that, but that that's the part where... You know, I, I got my 
fix along the way to be able to help people. And especially, I, I've done a lot of work with adults through the years, but I've never done work with kids. And so this was a great opportunity to, you know, talk to school groups and interact with them. And um, yeah, it was, it was pretty amazing. Do you have any cool stories then about letters you've received oh. or stories you've heard that's from people who's been inspired by what you've done? Yeah. Um, I mean, I've gotten tons. I mean, and they're not all, you know, certainly uh, I'll tell you, uh, well, let me, let me focus on one right now. So I was going out to a, a local YMCA's track club. It was a youth track club, uh, cross country um, group. And it was, they, the team was like nine year olds to 14 year olds. So okay. a pretty wide range there. And I, I knew the coach um, and I, I went out and he said, can you come out and talk to my kids? And I said, absolutely. So I went out and talked to their kids and, you know, I, I gave them, you know, some pointers on things that they could do and just, you know, try to get them excited. And I, I had Live Your Bold bracelets um, made up for kids that I, Aww. they all had these Live Your Bold bracelets and we did the, you know, the cheers and all this sort of <laughs> stuff. And so um, this was near the beginning of their practice and I was, I was, leaving and walking to my car and they were going to, the team was going to continue their practice. And this little girl that probably was about 10 years old, as the rest of the group is kind of going back towards the track to do their workouts, she comes running up to me. I'm about 20 yards from the group at this point. She comes running up to me as I'm walking to the car and she looks down at her bracelet and she looks at me and she goes, I'm going to think of what you told us when I do my first 5k. And it's like, oh, that's so awesome. Thank you. Um, Melt so, your yeah. heart. Um, I've, I've had people, I have had somebody that told me that they were, they're actually my age. Um, they get around, they have some health problems. They get around in a motorized vehicle, but they have, they can walk. Okay. But she told me that she was inspired and she, she walked two miles. She says not one mile, but two miles because I saw what you were doing. And I thought maybe I can do more than what I've been doing. Oh. Wow. Yeah, I've had a woman said that she left a, a, a 25 year abusive marriage. And I don't think it was abusive all 25 years, but she left a really bad marriage because what I was doing gave her the courage to live her bold. Mm. And, and, and so it's not just the athletic side of things. I mean, it can right. be anything. So, I mean, those stories you know, certainly makes me know that I'm where I need to be doing what I need to do. Absolutely. That's incredible. Are you surprised at all by some of the attention you've gotten, right, over the last two years from being on, you know, being featured in Outside Magazine? And that and that's where I came across right. your story, Will. I saw that and I was like, I don't know how to get a hold of him, but I am going to try. <laughs> and thankfully, uh, I found your website, connected with you that way but are you have you been surprised by all the attention from being on the news to magazines everything that's gone on um yes and no it was interesting because it just i would get these little local stuff and and that was great um but none of the the big national attention and then in the last month you know it's been outside magazine triathlete magazine Men's Health has interviewed me, and they, really? they're supposed to be coming out any week now. So, I mean, all of a sudden, you know, it's like the Outside Magazine article actually caused a ripple effect that's been I've been writing for the last month um, because it's you know it hits so many people. So and and, and tells yeah. a good story. And now he's on tell a good story. I mean, I mean it doesn't get bigger than that. Well, <laughs> I mean, what a month! <laughs> Men's Health tells a good story. So, Steph. If you go to Will's Instagram page, which listeners, it's at Live Your Bold on Instagram, he has phenomenal pictures of his rides, right? Because he did this at like 30 different national parks. So, Will, you were at like Denali National Park in Alaska, Grand Canyon in Arizona, Yosemite National Park in California, Glacier National Park in Montana, Acadia which is in Maine mm -hmm. and his pictures are phenomenal. Yeah. Who, who's, who's with so, you like so, taking these? So Chris DiStefano is my photographer. He's my Uber sharp Sherpa and my, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, so he, I recruited him early on and said, you know, 
do you want to be part of this? And he was hesitant, but he wa- he wanted to be part of it, but he also kind of had some criteria, I guess. He really wanted to, to, to have a big role in the logistics of okay. the, on your own ones. And I was like, absolutely. He, he's, he cycled all over the country. And so he loves cycling in mountainous areas and beautiful state national parks and state parks and all over the place. And so he knew all these amazing places to, that we could set up these, these courses on. He's also a really good photographer, right? And so he would take, he would not only be out there as my Sherpa throughout the day. And what that meant was that, you know, he would be out, I would be out there either swimming, biking or running, and he would be waiting for me at the next stop or, you know, waiting for me to get out of the, the, the water and start the bike. And then he'd be, you know, meet me along the way, or there'd be a loop course and I'd meet him, you know, at the end of the loop on a, a bike course or the run. And, and, and he would be with the car and he'd have, you know, my cooler full of whatever nutrition and hydration I needed for the day and all that sort of stuff. Plus he was out there, you know, encouraging me when I was, you know, in one of those valleys because there's lots of peaks and valleys throughout the day. Literally. Um, yeah. And he'd be taking pictures of me and he, he, he was just phenomenal at, at set. He would ride ahead in the car and, you know, particularly when I was running, obviously when I was running or biking, and he would just scope out what would be a good scene to get Will with the, you know, this amazing background. The lighting. And, and get yes. Will at the right point. And he'd, he'd click and shoot. And, and, you know, I would do the race report after each race. And about, I don't know, about halfway through the first year, I, one of my good friends said, said you know, we post the race report and all the pictures that he took. And... And then, you know, obviously people would make comments on Facebook. And at one point, about six months into it, one of my friends commented, and they were all, people were always telling Chris how amazing his photographs were. But this, this friend of mine goes, oh my God, Chris, these photographs are amazing, blah, 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 and just kind of went on and on and on. And then at the very end, she goes, oh, and what you did was okay too, Will. <laughs> right. And I mean, I had to laugh because all of a sudden his, his pictures overshadowed everything I did. Right. But they were so amazing that they really helped tell the story because there's no way you would have gotten a glimpse of what I was getting a glimpse of without, you know, seeing the backdrops of all these amazing places that I was going to. I, I say that I love and hate this man because I love him for everything that he did and, and helped me do. I hated him for everything he did <laughs> because that meant that he picked up the hardest courses. So it wasn't just me doing 105 Ironmans. I was doing Ironmans and, you know, big you know climbing, climbing, you know, yes. big you know, 9,000 feet of elevation gain on my bike ride over 112 miles. You know, <laughs> when you do an Ironman, you, you want a flat course. Yeah. Or, hey, why can't you go down it, Will? <laughs> well, well, going you up. do some of that, too. You do some of that, too. But anyway, the, the courses were amazingly beautiful. And I worked hard for those views, but it, it made it all, all the better the adventure for it. It's so funny you said that because the whole time I'm thinking, okay, he's doing these incredible courses, but he's literally going up yes. mountains. Yes. We live in Midwest, you know, in the Midwest, so it's flat course. Right. So an Ironman is already incredibly oh. difficult. But then when you add in Death Valley. Yes, that right. kind of stuff. Right. That's incredible. Also, you think swimming, how cold the waters are. You know, even Naples, Florida, January 6th, the water's still cold. Oh, I came out right? of the water in Naples and you in, in triathlon you run to T one and T two, transition one. So you run from the water to your your where your bike is and then you change your gear and you get on the bike. Well I'm running it's it's probably from the beach to the T1 area, probably about 250 yards or so. The whole time I'm sort of running from the beach to the transition area, my feet feel like just blocks of ice. Oh, man. You know, January swimming in the ocean, in the Gulf, you know, was cold. Well, when you're doing these, what you call it, on your own? Yeah. Uh, uh, Ironmans, and you have the lake or body of water by yourself. Right. 
have you ran into oh, any scary yeah. situations, yes. whether it's <laughs> shark or whatever? Yes. I mean, you're literally yeah. on your own. Okay, so I, I've swum with um, alligators, stingrays, oh. sharks, green sludge, and <laughs> um, yeah. So the, the scariest one for me was um, one in Encinitas, you know, Southern California, just near San Diego. Okay. And Chris actually had something going on where he wasn't able to go with me on this race. And I had a friend in San Diego or Encinitas who was a local triathlete. And I reached out to her and I said, you know, I need to figure out a course. Can you help me out? And she's like, oh, yeah, I'd be you know, happy to. Let's do this. And she was giving me some options with swimming. And she said, you know, Will, a lot of people out here, they just swim in the ocean. And I'm like, okay, I can, you know, if, if that's what people do, I can do that, right? So um, she said, okay, I've got to work that day, but I'm going to get up early with you and I'm going to go to the beach with you and I'm going to swim part of your swim with you, you know, and, and you get started and then I've got to go to work and you can kind of keep going and doing your thing, right? So the week before I get there, she sends me a, a link to an article um, that shows me that there are stingray attacks are up 400% in Southern California oh, that summer because of that warm weather. And apparently the warm weather were bringing all the stingrays, you know, out. And so I'm like, I know what a stingray is, but I don't know what a stingray sting does to you. I mean, I, I knew it wasn't a good thing. But I didn't know, what, you know, what, what, so I, I Google it, of course, and, and look up stingray stings and, you know, it, it causes, you know, immediate swelling. It causes you to get a temperature. It causes nausea. It causes all these other things and and can include up to death. And I'm like, so you obviously don't remember Steve Irwin. I do. I do remember Steph. Steve Irwin. But, you know, he got, his was a really a freak accident, right? I mean, yeah. the stingray hit his heart and, and he died, which I knew. Yes. So, I mean, I did have that. Yeah. Mental picture in my mind. Stuff, that's <laughs> completely different it's stuff. Completely that is completely different than what Will's thing, talking right? about. Yeah. So anyway, I'm like, okay, that's not good news. And and literally, the week of this is about the same time. This is before the race. Um, I don't know why. Chris and I were somewhere, wherever we were. And we watched this documentary on the making of Jaws, <laughs> right? Which wasn't good timing at all, right. you know? So I'm, I literally, that morning of the race in Encinitas, I'm, my friend tells me that she's running late and she can't meet me at the, the swim start after all. So I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm good on my own. So I get, I'm driving from her place to the, the beach, which was only a couple miles. On the way to the beach, there's a, I'm listening to the ra local radio station, and they, they are talking about shark attacks. <laughs> so now I've got shark attacks between the Jaws documentary, the radio host, and, and then I got stingrays. And I'm thinking, this is not what I signed up for, but, but I'm here. Right? I'm here. So... My friend also told me, she said, there's always people swimming. You know, there's, there, the, you'll see the triathletes and the swimmers out there. So I get to the beach. There's nobody swimming. <laughs> there are, there are some, some surfers that are way out there. And I think, well, at least they've got boards to kind of protect themselves. So anyway, I, I'm like, you know, Will, you, you're here. You got to do this. You, you know, part of doing all these races is you've got to confront your fear and your comfort zones all the time. So, you know, let me just face this and go out there and do it so I, I literally have to get out as far past it was pretty long ways where because there was shallow sandbars along the way so I had to get out probably about 150 to 200 yards offshore before I was going to swim and that's where about where the surfers were and I wanted to get past them because I didn't want to be in their way and that sort of thing and and so I got far enough out you know so the waves weren't going to be in my way the surfers weren't going to be away in my way and then I, you know, click on my watch to start my swim. And I'm just going to go up and back about a quarter mile up and back on the, you know, until I'm done. Literally, I get about 10 strokes into my swim and I see a stingray dart about two or three feet underneath me. Oh, no. And I'm just like, oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. 
So I'm like, okay. And what I also read about stingrays is that usually you get the danger of stingrays is that at least back then with the warm weather, they bury themselves in the sand. And so you're more likely to step on them than to swim into them. But anyway, here was one, as soon as I started swimming, that is like right there. And you, I've got my goggles on. I can see it. It's like, I mean, literally just close right underneath me. So I'm like, okay, well, deep breath, keep going. You got this. Within 10 minutes, I see this thing oh, no. swimming at the bottom. I'm probably about nine feet from the, the bottom of the ocean at this point, nine feet depth. And I see a sand shark, some kind of shark. I don't know what it was, but it looked like a shark to me. <laughs> and of course, my mind has been racing like crazy. And, um, you know, I'm thinking, okay, well, what do you do? What do you do? And you're, I'm like, I'm out here. You know, I got to keep swimming. And, and, you know, the other part of your brain goes, well, you don't really have to keep <laughs> But I decided to keep swimming, but it was the, I decided to keep swimming and I swam for a while longer and I thought, oh, I've got to be at least halfway by now. I look at my watch and I've hardly gone in. I mean, time was like standing still because my mind was in such a, a you know, just a, like a panic spinning, you know, thing. Uh, and, and, you know, the, the good news is I, I look to tell the story, but I was freaked out the entire time. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, no thanks. No. No, but I love the but determination. But I said I've had no more, more, no more ocean swims. So that's a smart decision, Will. I oh love that. Oh, my gosh. So what, is you, what are you eating during these races? You know, it's really interesting because um, when I started – you know, I'm a triathlon coach and I study the science, art and science of the sport and, and you know, nutrition is part of that. And they always say, you know, when you do an Ironman, it's not just swim, bike, run, it's swim, bike, run nutrition, because if you don't get your nutrition right, you're going to, you're going to hit the wall and, and your day can be over. So, I mean, right. a big part of making sure you're properly fueled and hydrated throughout the day. Um, so I would consume about 300 350 calories between my drink, which had calories and electrolytes and those sorts of things in it, as well as whatever goos and sports nutrition things I was eating. And I did that for most of the first year. And then your, your body gets what's called fat adaptive, you know, where you start stop pulling on your you usually take things, the glucose and the carbohydrates and all that sort of stuff to be that immediate fuel. But when your body starts to run out, it starts pulling on its fat stores, the glycogen stores within your body. And you get more efficient at pulling from your body, so you need less of the stuff that you put in your mouth. So I, while I was taking in nutrition, like at least every half hour to an hour, um, I started towards the end, just going towards like almost like a regular meal schedule, like eating breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And I might have some snacks along the way, but I would have, you know, bigger, more real food versus the sports nutrition food um, just to fuel my body. And I, I ended up liking that a lot better, but it took my body a while to adjust to be able to do that. So what are you eating? Like what's real food? Oh, eating? like real food could be a cheeseburger or a pizza or a sandwich or yeah. What? Anything. <laughs> yeah. Really? During your races? Getting the calories in. Yeah. Yeah. Aren't you getting sick? No, it's great. I mean, <laughs> it's great that I don't get sick. I, a, lot of, a lot of racers, athletes don't have the fortitude in their stomach to do that. Their stomachs get upset and that's the end of it. Yeah. I have like a cast iron stomach so I can like put down anything. 99% of the time and be fine. So I'm, I'm lucky that way. So how many calories do you have to consume and how many do you think you burn? Okay, so I'm consuming, you know, the most I can really get down is like five or 6,000 calories. I'm probably, and I'm probably burning 10 to 11,000. Oh my and, gosh. Wow. Yeah. That's incredible. Are you more like plant-based diet or are you just like, you eat whatever you want? I've gone back and forth. Uh-huh. Back I in in prior I've I've been vegan at times, I've been vegetarian at times, I've been a 
big carnivore at times. What I did find is that, and I went into this being somebody that eats everything. I mean, but trying to be a health, a healthy eater overall, right? But I would find that the day after, I would be craving a steak. And mm. I basically had stopped eating steak years ago, but I was like, I need a big old steak. <laughs> and I, yeah, I would love it. <laughs> so, Will, when we first got married, Steph was doing triathlons. Okay. And I remember we got married and I went to the race. And this mm. is the only race I've ever been to. And I was shocked at how much sporting equipment I saw there <laughs> and how expensive this was. I'm looking around, Will, and there's guys like holding their bike on their finger, you know, <laughs> walking, walking yeah. to, you know, the, to enter into the, the race. Yeah. And Steph's like, yep, that, that bike there is like 10 grand. Right. And I'm like, that's just the bike. That's not the wheels. Right. I can't imagine. So like, what, another what, grand, right? yeah. oh my yes. gosh. So like, do you have sponsors then that are helping you with all the equipment you need for these triathlons? I wish. <laughs> okay. You um, will after I, this, Will. <laughs> a local a bike shop, um, Fleet Feet um, supplied me with all my running shoes. So that was amazing. Um, and I had uh, Rudy Helmet, um, Rudy Project heard of my journey somewhere along the way. And they gave me a, a, a couple hundred dollar helmet and a couple hundred dollar pair of racing glasses. So that was cool. Um, a friend of mine in New Zealand contacted a buddy of his in New Zealand who contacted the owner of a wetsuit company in Seattle, um, Blue 70, and they sent me a free long sleeve wetsuit. Oh, <laughs> Very that's cool. Nice. Good things along the way, but I didn't have that. You know, it's interesting when you, when you, when I started this out, I wanted to get all these sponsors, but it's amazing when you haven't done this, people don't want to sponsor you. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe if I do this again, when I turn 70, I can get some sponsors. I don't know. <laughs> oh boy, 70 at 70. So will. When you accepted our invitation yeah. to come on the podcast, I texted Steph's father because we were so excited that you were going to join us for a fun conversation here tonight. And I sent a text and said, hey, we've got Will Turner coming on. If there's any questions you would like us to ask, right. let us know ahead of time. I didn't get any text message response. This was on a Thursday. On a Sunday... Steph's parents came over to the house, and as soon as Steph's dad walked in the door, he handed me five sheets of paper <laughs> full of questions, Will. And I'm looking at them, and there's 16 questions on here with bullet points for each question. <laughs> now, we have gone through a few of these, but I, for Steve, my father-in-law, I want to ask one of these questions okay. so you can answer this for him. So he wrote down here. This is question number seven, actually, <laughs> Steph. So you trained for months, right? to prepare for these races uh, when, when you start these Ironmans. But everything could be lost on a given day, whether it's a flat tire, broken chain, stomach issues. Do you have any issues that plagued you that just put you out of commission for a race? Um, I didn't have, well, yes, yes, yes. It was luckily rare, but I had a couple instances. Telluride was a redemption one. We had gone to Telluride on June 5th, 2018, the reason I know that is because it was my parents' anniversary and I was doing it, I was dedicating the race in memory of them, right? Mm. And um, so I get through the swim, I, I do the bike ride and the bike ride, if you know anything about that area of Colorado, it's in the San Juan Mountains and I was on the Montrose side, the Uray side, and then you have to go over what's called Dallas Divide, which takes you from one side of the mountain to the other side and the other side you get to tell you ride and tell you rides in this box canyon and it's absolutely gorgeous right so i'm literally dallas divide is this steep long 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 climb and that was going to be the hardest part of my day was climbing over this mountain pass and getting over to the other side of tell you ride so i do all that i get to the other side i'm literally coming into the town, probably about five to 10 miles from actually entering the town of Telluride. And Chris comes driving up with the car and pulls over the side of the road and flags me down. And he says, Will, I've got really bad news. And he, I, I'm like, what? 
And he said, I don't think you can finish your race. I'm like, what are you talking about? I'm good. And he said, I've just come from Telluride. There's been a, there's a forest fire going on, a wildfire, and it's all settling into Telluride and the smoke is getting really bad and, and you're not going to be able to finish your race there. And I knew from other experiences that, you know, doing that kind of activity in, it, with smoke particles in the air, I mean, it's just right. dangerous. You know, you can really cause lung damage and all this other stuff. So, I mean, I literally stood on the side of the road for about five minutes, just, you know, really agonizing on what do I do and just erring on the side of, you know, this, I can't damage, you know, the, the journey, you know, even the, I, I, you know, I could push through with the smoke probably it wasn't that bad. I mean, it was bad, but I mean, I would have just gutted through it, but it's like, you know, lesson learned here. Well, don't, you know, don't win the race to lose, you know, win the battle to lose the war type of things. So right. I didn't want to cause damage that would then set me back and, and maybe, you know, damage the whole, you know, journey, that sort of thing. So, so you just kind of had to pull the plug. I got to be honest with you, Will. I'm really surprised that smoke is more dangerous to you than an alligator. <laughs> than sharks and stingrays. <laughs> and oh All right, I'll stop oh for the smoke. I'm going to stop yeah. for the smoke. Okay, no, that's really serious. The, the smoke. shark and the, the stingray, I'm still going to go. <laughs> I feel confident I'm going to make it. So. Well, you know, it, it, at that point, it's me against the shark or the alligator. You know, we're going to be in a boxing match. I, you know, maybe I got a 50-50 chance. I don't know. So, oh, that's funny. Well, we want to be sensitive to your time, but I have one more question. Just give me one more question. I had one more question. I have one more you question. You can both have one more question. Can... Okay. Okay. Thank you, Will. How long do these races take you on average? On average? Do you probably... shoot for a time or what's that? Do you shoot for a specific time or you just, just to finish? I don't. Um, I mean, the competitive side of me, if I'm looking at my watch or something like, you know, I can, you know, do this or that. But I, I as I said earlier, official race rules you have 17 hours to complete it so the goal was always obviously to get it done within 17 hours mm -hmm. ideally what i i wanted to do was to get it in that 13 to 15 hour range and that depended wow. a lot on the course itself how was i in elevation was i doing a lot of climbing was there wind or other factors that you know would impact my speed, which there are, you know, there's always some kind of factors that are impacting whether you're going faster or slower and that sort of stuff. So, you know, if I, most of the time, probably 80% of my races, I would fall into that, that window. That's impressive. So you mentioned going to 70. What, like, how long do you see yourself doing this? Uh, these triathlons that at, at this rate as well? Well, not at this, <laughs> I don't see myself doing this rate. This was definitely a, you know, a, a, a big, big goal, you know, that, but, you know, people do always ask me, you know, what are you going to do next? You know, <laughs> haven't I done enough? <laughs> you know? Right. But I did early on in, in the planning of the 60 at 60, I had thought, well, what, you know, I, I keep, I keep memorializing these big birth date, you know, anniversaries. And so when I turned 70, you know, I've done something big at 50, I've done something big at 60. What am I going to do when I turn 70? And in the triathlon world, there's what's called a 70.3, which is a half Ironman distance. So it's a 1.2 mile swim. It's a 56 mile bike and it's a 13.1 um, mile half marathon. So I thought if I did 70, 70.3s when I turned 70, that would be a pretty good goal, don't you think? That'd be a great goal. So, and maybe I can yes. even get some sponsors for that. Who knows? Absolutely. <laughs> yes. Yes, got a few years to figure that out. But We're yeah, I send you a water bottle. There you go. <laughs> it's be I go through a lot of those, so that's good. <laughs> well, ladies and gentlemen, for more information about Mr. Will Turner, you can go to his Facebook page, which is Will Turner, or at Live Your Bold. He's also on Instagram at Live Your Bold. Also, he has a coffee table book called Journey to One Hundred that has what four hundred fifty photographs okay. from okay. your distance oh yes look at that oh that's beautiful so, um look at that you know, stuff. all of chris's not all of his photography we had to narrow down like tens of thousands of photographs down to 450 oh, like 450 photographs um i've written you know 
things about the journey as well. Um, it's, it's not the detailed version story of the journey, but there's certainly enough to kind of share the story and, and give people a, a, a idea of what we went through. But his, his amazing photography is, you know, people get gorgeous and are just like blown away just because the photography is, is just that special. That's and incredible. you can get that only at your only website, at right? Right. Okay. Liveyourbold.com. This was awesome. Well, well you're thank amazing. You. Thank you so much for saying yes to us. Yeah, thank my, you. My thank pleasure. you. I, I, this was After I, I said yes, obviously, I went back and looked at one of your, you know, I, I got to see one of their shows. I actually saw the one with your your um, sister and your, your family <laughs> vacations. Oh, no. The Myrtle Beach. <laughs> and, and I just, oh. I, y'all were just having so much fun and laughing. And I thought, I got to talk to these people. They're, they're just, y'all are so much fun. Y'all have some great, oh, great chemistry and just a great interaction, not only with each other, but with the person that's on the other side of the the line from you. So, Oh, thank, thank you. you. That just... That just made my night. Thank you. I, I mean, I've been doing a lot of podcasts, so I mean, I really do think y'all have something special. I mean, I really oh, see your thank energy you. and how you play off each other. It's really a, a cool thing. Oh, you're gonna make me you. cry. I have goosebumps. <laughs> I need. We needed to hear that. So thank you so much. That's yeah. Very appreciated. Oh. Thank you, sir. Ah, oh, okay. <laughs> We're gonna wrap this up so he doesn't see me cry. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. Well, Will, uh, you're amazing. And again, we went oh, we went longer than what longer. we expected. But yeah. th- so thank you so much for Thanks your Thanks for hanging out with My us. My pleasure, guys. Listeners, if you like what you just saw, like what you just heard, please go to iTunes, go to YouTube, and subscribe, rate, review this podcast. That's the only way we'll be able to continue to produce this. Where else can they go, Stephanie? They can go to kevinandsteph.com. That's all I know. So is that it? You crushed it. Thank you, listeners.